Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Transfer News Central podcast. I'm Johnny Bentley, your wonderfully charming host, and I'm joined by James Prescott once again. Hello, James. Hi. So happy to be here and even more happy to be here for his debut on this podcast. Special guest from the Liverpool Echo, it's Mr. Matt Addison. How are you feeling? Yeah, very good, thank you. We've uh, been enjoying, obviously, some title celebrations and then a little uh, sobering night last night as well. So it's uh, it's been a, a strange week, some mixed emotions, but yeah, it's been it's been unbelievable to cover, to be fair. Well, as I mean, this is obviously, if you hadn't realised, <clears throat> Matt being the guest, this, and Matt just describing uh, his emotions there, this is a very Liverpool-centred podcast, sort of looking at various elements of Liverpool season and what it might look like going forward for the club. Because, of course, on the, June the 25th, Liverpool became Premier League champions after Chelsea toppled Man City 2-1 at Stamford Bridge. And Matt, you obviously mentioned the sobering moment yesterday, but uh, I mean, I imagine you're still full of happiness at, at, at you know, ending that horrible um, wait for a league title uh, just so recently. Yeah, 100%. It's uh, a relief as much as anything, I think, for, for Liverpool fans. It's sort of been one of those journeys where it, they've come so close on, on so many occasions and, and never quite got over the line. And then obviously the, the weird circumstances of, of this season following on from narrowly missing out last season, you, you wondered after you know 97 points last season, what might Liverpool do next? And obviously the next thing they did was, was win the Champions League and just not look back really ever since. So yeah, it's been a bizarre time really for, for all football fans this season. Obviously, coronavirus causing the three or, or so months uh, delay. There was a time when null and void was was on the table. There was still concerns over that, and I think a lot of Liverpool fans were, were probably looking at it and thinking, you know, this is another one of those occasions where you know we, we're narrowly going to narrowly going to miss out. And thankfully, that that wasn't the case. It, it wasn't on the table for too long for a variety of reasons, probably chiefly financial reasons that the, the Premier League was was never going to be stopped. But uh, Jurgen Klopp obviously uh, made the, the same comments as well, and, and he said, you know, there, there was a point where he was slightly concerned that it wasn't going to happen. But I, I don't think whether you support Liverpool or not, I don't think you can really have any complaints that, that Liverpool have, have been the best team in the country this season by a, a long, long distance as, as well. And look, I wouldn't be surprised if, despite what happened last night, they they go on and, and become record-breaking Premier League champions for a number of different reasons. Mm. I mean, you mentioned Null and Void then, and we have a few mutual friends who were pushing for Null and Void. Um, uh, I'm sure they know who they are. But James, you, um, you, it was your team, actually. You, you're a big Chelsea fan. It was your team that managed to get Liverpool over the line. You know, oh. in 2014, actually, you turned the title race on its head by beating uh, Liverpool at Anfield 2-0. I'm sure Matt remembers that well. And it halted, it halted Liverpool's, what, what appeared to be Liverpool's time then to uh, lift the Premier League title and put Manchester City in the ascendancy and they went on to win the league that season. Uh, so did you owe Liverpool a favour this time around? <laughs> did Chelsea owe Liverpool a favour? I think if you speak to any Chelsea fan, I think the last thing any Chelsea fan wants to do is do Liverpool a favour. <laughs> <laughs> I think like uh, the Chelsea fans' perspective was Liverpool have won the league already, they're going to win it anyway. Hmm. They're not winning it because we win tonight. We need to just win tonight to get into the Champions League. I think that was because I don't think many Chelsea fans could stomach the fact that we would give the title to Liverpool, mm. to be honest. But um, I guess it can look like that because um, we really did enjoy stopping Liverpool winning the title in 2014, I've got to say. <laughs> Chelsea fans still talk about that to this day. <laughs> well, um, hopefully Liverpool fans won't be talking about that as much. 
of course. Yeah, uh, that I, you know, I mean, honestly, Liverpool have been fantastic this year. They've played great football, they've been consistent, they've shown character. The team has been so well built by Jurgen Klopp. Mm. Um, the way they put the team together, you know, over a number of years, because they didn't have the finances of Manchester City. So they were just they were strategic in who they brought in and what positions they brought in. And Jurgen Klopp has developed those players. He's built a spirit. He's brought in academy players as well. I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Joe mm-hmm. Gomez, for example. Mm-hmm. He's built a team that is just capable of winning every single game. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's improved every player that, that in that squad. Every right. player has no, improved. No, he, he absolutely he has. has. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we're, we're going to sort I mean, of break it down, James, actually, into you know how and why Liverpool won the league so convincingly. Again, a look at some of those disappointing elements, but also the progress going forward. And if we if we start really with how or why they won the league so convincingly, I'll throw this to both of you because it's quite a general question. So they amassed 97 points last year, but they didn't win the league. Mm. They missed out. Uh, Manchester City got 98. Do you think that the fact they missed out was a real source of inspiration this time around? Because that Manchester City team, they won the league amassing 100 points the season before. Then they got 98, two successive title wins. They tasted the Premier League title twice over two successive years. Liverpool hadn't tasted that feeling yet. So do you think that they had that hunger and desire um, that Manchester City perhaps were lacking uh, going at a third trophy in three years? Matt, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think part of it is is definitely the, the hunger and desire. I think that, that hunger has been there right from the start, really, with Liverpool, not just because of, of the long wait, but you know they've come so close. You think of all the, the cup finals that they got to under Jurgen Klopp and, and never quite got over that line. I suppose it it comes back to the, the sort of mentality giants that, that Jurgen Klopp talks about. He talks about all the occasions. You think of the, the, the 4-0 win over Barcelona, for example, last season. I think things like that, they all play their part. And you know, for, for Liverpool this season, it, it was all about momentum. I think right from day one, they were top of the league. I don't think they dropped off all the way through the season. They were just they just kept winning and winning and winning. And I suppose, you know, for a team, particularly for, for Liverpool, I think momentum is, is always key because you sort of get that feeling with Liverpool fans whenever you go to Anfield, whenever there's fans inside the stadium. It's almost like riding a wave at certain times. And I think... The fact that Liverpool started this season so strongly, City had a couple of dodgy results early on, there was a, a little bit of a gap and then obviously in, in November Liverpool beat Manchester City, it, it all sort of started from that point on and I suppose you know, the, the motivation was the key thing to, to start that off um, and I know for a fact that Jurgen Klopp said to, to his players at the start of, of this season, you know, you can't you know, you, you can't aim for, for 85, 90 points. We have to aim for 100 points because you have to presume that, that Manchester City and, and Pep Guardiola are going to get that and we have to, to go one better. So, you know, right from the start, they were clear about what they had to do. And, and OK, City are, are not going to get anywhere near the points that they got last season. But the fact that Liverpool aimed for that and sort of got off on the right track, I think was the perfect start that they needed then to continue that, continue the momentum. and. Okay, they they went out of of cup competitions and things like that, but as you say, that the focus was purely purely on the league. Yeah, I mean, did did Pep Guardiola then set the barometer, James? I think he did. I think he did. I've been watching the um, documentary that was made about that season on uh, Prime. I'm watching it again. Mm. They raised the bar very high that season. I mean, a hundred points, a hundred mm. points. You know, and. 
And even and even when they won the league, Pep Guardiola was like, "No, I want to get 100 points. This mm-hmm. isn't winning. Oh, There's not enough, you know." Mm-hmm. And then the next year they got nine, 98 points. So mm-hmm. they've maintained that standard. That's the level that people need to get to now to win the league. And Liverpool rose to that challenge. I mean, they've got they've got a lot of leaders in that team. They've got a lot of strong characters. They've got winners in that team. You mm. need those kind of characters mm. to win the league. Not enough to have talented players. You need to have strong characters. You know, and I think it's significant. There's two things about Manchester City this year. They lost Vincent Company, which mm. is, I think, has been hugely underestimated. He was colossus in terms mm. of not just on the pitch but off the pitch. He's a leader. He drove the team. He pushed the team. You know, when he did play, he was a huge. He had a huge impact. And they didn't replace him. They didn't replace him not just as a defender, but also as a as a leader, as a mm. as a character in the dressing room. They lost him, and mm. that was significant. But also, it's also very hard to win three titles in a row. Mm. I think only Manchester United have won three league titles in mm. a row in the last thirty years. I think. Um, mm. I mean, that's you know, not even the great Chelsea side of Mourinho did it. You know, Arsenal didn't obviously didn't do didn't, yeah. didn't win two in a row, uh, and. Yeah, so it's very difficult to win three in a row because, mm. and this is where the hunger Liverpool talk about come in because, and one of the reasons for that is because you won it again and again and again. There's a little bit of, I mean, it's not that you don't stop having that champion mentality. It's just that to do it a third time to push with the same energy again is difficult. Mm. And when you've got a team like Liverpool who is strong and as talented as they were, motivated as motivated as they were, and had come off winning the Champions League, which had given them a huge boost of confidence and momentum because they'd actually won something together. Mm. I think the combination of that was worked in Liverpool's favour because Liverpool had, had not won the title and they wanted it badly. And City were going for their third successive title. They lost Vincent Company and mm. didn't replace yeah. him. No. And no. Lots that of factors combination, and they had injuries as well, to be fair. Mm. Um, Laporte was out for a long time and that was a big blow for Manchester City especially when they'd lost company already and and then we were just just relentless you know they just uh, they just didn't let up you know and And so often they got so often they got late goals I mean that's what champion teams get late goals to win games you know I think that relentlessness though James I feel like it's mimicked right from the top down I call it like a top down approach I mean Jurgen Klopp is Liverpool isn't he he's everything at the club everything revolves around him and as I say it's like a top down managerial approach and uh, this is my little tick to get Burnley in there I suppose you could say the same at Sean Dyche me being a Burnley also has a similar level of authority at the club and it works it has worked wonders please don't go Sean but also there's um you know there's the similar um structuring at Manchester City who did so well two seasons ago Pep Guardiola comes in after a slow initial season there's no threat of the sack I mean I remember uh, the first season he was in and it was there was the threat they weren't even going to make Champions League which was unprecedented for Manchester City but you never got the sense he was going to get sacked you never got the sense he was going to be moved on this was a club that were fully invested in their manager fully invested in their long-term project look at them now I mean they're doing they're doing wonderfully well just like Liverpool would you say Matt that it's uh, important uh, well how important is it to have a manager being the complete focus of a football club if it's going to succeed in the long term 
It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we've sort of seen both sides of that. I think certainly, as you say, Pep Guardiola has that at Manchester City. I think Manchester City, for probably five, ten years before they got Guardiola, were gearing up for the time when they were going to get him. Um, I suppose with with Liverpool, it's slightly similar in that you know every single facet of, of Liverpool Football Club has Jurgen Klopp's fingerprints on it. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Every single academy player he's across he knows everything about everyone he's you know, friendly with you know even the, the the little things like the the dinner ladies at melwood he'll you know he'll know them by name and, and he'll you know have that sort of relationship with everybody and i suppose it, it, it all comes back to the sort of character that he is i don't suppose if somebody else without that charisma and without the the quality of you know the the skill set that he has as a, as a manager i'm not sure whether it, it would work in the same way so it Look, Are you thinking of any names when you say that, for example? Not particularly at, at Liverpool, to be honest. Um, I, I just think it's it, it, it's sort of the, it's that tying together, isn't it, of being a world class manager and also having the social side of it as well. So, you know, for for somebody to to come in and have such an impact on such a big football club, I think you have to almost be quite almost like a, a unique sort of character and person. And I think certainly Jurgen Klopp has that. And I suppose the other thing that you've got to say is that he had a similar sort of setup in terms of working under a sporting director, in terms of, you know, not having the greatest power over transfers, in terms of the sort of support that he had with the fans. He had a similar sort of situation at Borussia Dortmund as well. And I suppose there are sort of parallels to draw between those two clubs. I think it was pretty much exactly the same there, whereby everything was sort of done at Jurgen Klopp's word in the way that he wanted it. I suppose it's, it's similar at Liverpool and it was almost like a dress rehearsal for, for one job compared to the other. And you know, I suppose from, from what I've read and, and what I believe, the similar sort of situation happened at Mainz as well. So he's always had that throughout his career. And I think the, the sort of unique skill that he has is that he's able to almost delegate the stuff that he knows he can't do particularly well to other people. So he has the best staff around him. He brought in Mona Nemer, the nutritionist from, from Bayern Munich, and she's sort of world-renowned for, for being the best at, at the nutrition and the food side of things. And it's all those marginal gains, even if it's, it's just one person being brought in to do a certain thing, he knew that that was the best fit for the football club. And you know, when you add up all of those things, that I think is, is what makes... Liverpool Football Club now because you know as James said before Liverpool don't have the money of Manchester City you've got to then find another way of winning and for, for Jurgen Klopp and, and for Liverpool I suppose it's up to him to try and tie all of those bits together. Yeah I mean you, you mentioned actually Liverpool don't have the money of Manchester City and some people will say but they signed Van Dijk and Alisson however obviously that that's through the Coutinho transfer money, wasn't it, really, that, that, that funded those two moves. And uh, you're absolutely spot on with your comments there. And also, James, it's quite handy to have you on again with a quick reference back to Chelsea. Um, we talk about managers being at the centre of a football club. And it seems like mm. that's happening at Chelsea now, but in the past, I mean, they had every man in the dog uh, as manager of Chelsea. Yeah. And um, it seemed yeah. like even if you, if you didn't hit the ground running or you had a season where it was a bit mm, iffy, the manager's gone. And Mr. Abramovich, Roman Abramovich, was the centre of the football club. In many ways, he still is. But there seems to be an emphasis now on maybe Frank Lampard having a bit more authority than maybe other managers had in the past. Yeah, I think that's true. They, they've re- completely restructured the club, Chelsea. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and actually, it's funny, we, the, the transfer of, of um, um, Timo Werner actually highlighted this, that 
you know, Peter Cech and Frank Lampard are very powerful at that football club now. Mm. Uh, they're kind of directing the football direction of the club. Um, the club are very are backing Frank Lampard's targets. Uh, Peter Cech is advising on targets as well. They're the ones that are doing negotiations with players instead of persuading them to join the club instead of the person who's doing it before who uh, isn't a football person. Marina mm. Granescar isn't a football person. Mm. And that she's a, she's a good um, that they're joining Chelsea because of Frank Lampard. And that's a, yeah, and then it looks like they've got a three, well, I've had a three, kind of a three-year plan to build a team to have sustainable success winning league titles and Champions Leagues. And we've had, this has been the first year where we have, where you have, you have a core of academy players and you develop those and you see which ones are good enough. You see what you've got and then you, you bring in players that will improve you in places you need to improve this summer and next summer and then you're ready to go for the title. I think that's mm. the, and I think they've, I think they've modelled a lot of that on Liverpool. Mm. I really do. Mm. Uh, I, I, I see, I see a lot of similarities to how they've started to restructure things um, as to what Liverpool have done. In 10 seconds, James, do you prefer this idea of the uh, of building like Liverpool or do you prefer the, the in and out structure of win, win some trophies, have a bad season, win some trophies, have a bad season, bye, bye, oh, bye, 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 bye. Oh, I definitely prefer the Liverpool model because it's sustainable. Yeah. Uh, you can do, you can do, it allows you to dominate over a number of years rather than have one season on, one season off. Yeah, for sure. Financially, um, as well. Yeah, you just got into 10 seconds, well done. Um, so is there... Um, <laughs> Do you think, uh, Matt, is there a player at Liverpool? And I sort of think, well, I've got my own opinions, but I won't say now, but is there a player at Liverpool who is simply irreplaceable or is the collective unit simply too, too strong to collapse uh, if any single one player was to leave the club? What I mean is if a player does leave, I'm not saying they can just carry on as normal, but if they leave, left, could they get a replacement in and for it to continue like the status quo that they're doing now? Is that collective unit too strong? one player to make a substantial difference. Yeah, it's it's an excellent question. I think the the sort of sum of Liverpool's parts is greater than the individual players, but I do think there are two players that Liverpool would find incredibly difficult to replace. I think one of them is is Virgil van Dijk, just because he is so much better than pretty much every other defender in world football. I think he is the one who has pretty much improved the entirety of the, the back line, I think. Joe Gomez is a fantastic, potentially world-class centre-back of the future. I know he didn't show that last <laughs> night, I accept that. But you know, going forward, I think he can be absolutely superb. But I think you know, playing alongside Van Dijk has you know, just taken him really to a complete new level. So I think for Liverpool to go and, and find another Van Dijk would be incredibly, incredibly difficult. But the other one that I would say is Alisson as well. I think, mm. again... For me, the best goalkeeper in the world. I know there's there's two or three out there, Edison being one of them, who are, are fantastic. But I think, you know, again, in the same way that, that Van Dijk transformed Liverpool, I think, you know, Alisson obviously did. And, and that's kind of accentuated by the, the fact that, you know, Loris Karius and, and Simon Mignolet had, had come before him. But even so, I think whoever he'd have replaced, you would have seen a significant improvement because... The whole Liverpool team can can play 10, 15 yards further up the pitch. There's just a whole lot of, of security, even on things like counter-attacks. Nine times out of 10, he'll get the ball and he knows exactly what to do. He's thinking five, six steps ahead and 
you know, if he bowls the ball out to, to Andy Robertson, to Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know that there's a threat there instantly. I think it would be very difficult to sort of find a, a goalkeeper who was as exceptional as he is at, at making saves and doing that sort of thing, but being equally as, as brilliant on the ball and mm. almost as, as part of the attack, which, you know, for a goalkeeper sounds ridiculous, but mm. I suppose that is the modern game. So, yeah, look, you, you could go through the team and, and say, you know, he's the best in, in the world at his position. Their numbers are world-class. You look at Mohamed Salah, the number of goals that he gets. But I think the two that I would pick out would be would be Van Dijk and Alisson, just because they are, for me, so much better than, than the rest of the competition. No, I think you made a perfect summary there. I mean, for me, Alisson is the best in the world for the reasons you said, not just a brilliant shot stopper, but the um his distribution's also on another level. I'd say Edison's distribution's slightly better in fairness. Um but I think Alison as an overall goalkeeper is a better goalkeeper, I think, than Edison. Although with Van Dyke, I think you missed the point that actually if Van Dyke was to leave, the best defender in the world, self proclaimed Dayan Lovren, would come in and obviously fill that point. So I don't know, mate. I think I think uh, maybe you missed the point there. But um yeah, no, I, I kind of agree really because you know, with Salah and Mane, I think they get phenomenal numbers. I always think, though, with Salah and Mane, they miss almost, I mean, Salah in particular, misses almost as many as he scores, and um, a phenomenal player for getting into those positions. But I'll, I'll throw this to you, I suppose, Jay. If, for example, a Barcelona or someone said, right, we're going to pay £140 million for Mo Salah, I think, and I, I, he's a phenomenal player, one of the best wingers in the world, but whereas with what Matt alluded to there, with Alisson and Van Dijk being basically the best in their position in the world, to me, I think if if someone paid Liverpool that money and Liverpool said, right, we're going to sign Jadon Sancho and replace him, I don't think the effect would be quite as big as people think. No, I, I don't. I I absolutely agree with what Matt said. I mean, Virgil van Dijk and, and Alisson are are two irreplaceable. Um, yeah, I mean, like Alisson is the best goalkeeper in the world. Virgil van Dijk is probably the best centre back in the world. Those two signing for what turned Liverpool from. A really entertaining attacking side to title contenders, mm. you know. And uh, there's this quote I've seen from, from Sir Alex Ferguson, of all people: um, um, "Attacks when you gain, defenses when you titles." You know. And I, as soon as Liverpool signed Virgil Van Dijk and Allison, you knew that they were going to. That was going to be. That's what made them into title contenders. Before that, they had Sadio Mane and Firmino and Salah before that, and they weren't winning anything. They, they hadn't won anything. They weren't they weren't title contenders. But yeah. as soon as they brought those two in, they became title contenders. That yeah. that was absolutely key to that happening. So, uh, and you could you could replace Salah. You could if you got 140 million for him, you could go and buy Jaden Sancho or someone else. Mm. But the, you couldn't replace Virgil Van Dijk. I can't think. I mean, obviously, I suppose you could go for Koulibaly or whatever. But they're not as good. He's not as good. I mean, he's not as good. He's as very Van good, yeah. by the way. He's very good, but he's yeah. not as good as Virgil Van Dijk. No, no, no. Uh, no. And, and Alisson, the type of goalkeeper that he is, and how good he is with the distribution, as well as being a great shot stopper and keeper, you probably couldn't replace him. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you could you could buy another top goalkeeper, but it wouldn't be wouldn't have the complete game that Alisson has. You'd have so trouble replacing him. Sorry? Yeah, you'd have trouble replacing either. I think is the general yeah, consensus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, we look at Liverpool as well over the season. There's a few key games that they've had, and I've made a note of a few here that were sort of crucial, really, in the um, in the in, in the title uh, win. 
Uh, we've got one early on in the season, Southampton won Liverpool 2. I think it was the second Premier League game of the season because Adrian, who was in goal, uh, they were 2-0 up, weren't they, Liverpool at the time, uh, Mane and Firmino. Adrian having a solid game and then <laughs> passed the ball straight to Danny Ings, or knocked the ball straight to Danny Ings. But I think, you know, they still managed, and I think Ings missed a good chance at the end, but that was a good sign, really, of Liverpool showing character because Liverpool of old, you know, after the Adrian mistake, you could have conceivably seen them lose, uh, drawing that game or, or dropping points. But, it, you know, phenomenal character, I think, already so early on to grind out the victory, grind out the victory almost. And it's, it's a pattern we saw throughout the season because here I've got Chelsea 1, Liverpool 2 at Stamford Bridge and Liverpool weren't good in that game. They went 2-0 up, Kante pulled the goal back and they ground that one out. Spurs nil, Liverpool 1, Firmino goal. Again, a ground out. It wasn't a, it wasn't a pretty victory, you know. The, the, there was a, a lot of the, the, the games I got down. Liverpool 2, Bournemouth 1. You know, you think, you know, I'm surprised Liverpool weren't winning this game 3 or 4, considering who they were playing. But how important is grit and sort of having that know-how and having that game management, how important has that been over the course of this season? It's been huge. I mean, it's the same for, for every single winner of the title. I think there's, there's a few games every single season where you go, that was, that was a moment where you thought... You know, that was the sort of key game or that was a turning point or, or things like that. And I mean, the, the one that sort of stands out in terms of the mentality for me is, is Aston Villa. Liverpool were 1-0 mm. down to Aston Absolutely. Villa for 60, 70 minutes and, and turned it round. And, and in, in the end, they won it in the last minute. And as you say, Liverpool of old wouldn't have done that. And I, I suppose it, you wonder where that mentality has come from. I can only think it, it's come from, from Jurgen Klopp and, and from the sort of team spirit that he's generated because the players that Liverpool have brought in haven't necessarily been winners when they've arrived. You think of Virgil van Dijk, okay, you know, he, he won titles with Celtic, but mm. that's that's not really the same. You think of Andy Robertson, he got relegated with Paul Wijnaldum, you know, again, he, he's an excellent player, but got, got relegated with Newcastle. You wonder where and, and how that sort of happened, that, that they got themselves into that situation and, and managed to sort of foster that environment where every single player is, is sort of got that spot on. And I suppose it, it sort of comes back to, to the way that, that Liverpool recruit. They don't just recruit on how much they could add uh, in terms of the, the player, how much of a skill set they have or, or how suitable they are to, to fitting into the team. It's, it's also you know, looking into the background checks, looking into, you know, how will this player fit in with the group that we have? I think Liverpool are, are certainly the, the most advanced in terms of, of the data um, when they look at signings and things like that. But they also do a lot of personal background checks. They'll speak to, to people who, I don't know, played with Sadio Mane 10 years ago or whatever and, and sort of ask about, you know, the, the way in which they perform, the way in which they train, the way they live their life, that sort of thing. So, it's almost like you, you don't just have to find the perfect player. You have to find the perfect professional and the, the perfect person as well. And when you combine that with the likes of, of Jordan Henderson, with James Milner, who's, who's obviously been there and, and done it for Manchester City, for England, for teams like that, I think what Liverpool have done is they've almost got it perfect in the transfer market, not just from a footballing sense, but from the whole sort of perspective of, of these characters coming in you know that they're going to gel and they've only really got Loris Karius wrong since Jurgen Klopp arrived and, and he cost what 4.7 million you know the, the rest of them have, have been absolutely spot on and I suppose you have to get that perfection if you're going to overcome 
teams like Manchester United, Manchester City, who can just spend whatever they want every single summer. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I mean that is spot on. I mean, just a word as well, you, just to sort of push on a little bit on, you were talking about sort of having the right characters. And I think in midfield, uh, often, you know, midfields help win titles and maybe Liverpool's are, are a bit more understated than, say, Manchester City's. But Fabinho and Henderson, I think, are, you know, are two really that offer no thrills necessarily, but no spills. I mean, the two the two players that are, you know, workmanlike, dogged, determined, but they must they've been they've been crucial really, haven't they? In key moments this season. I mean, even Fabinho coming up with some swazzy finishes from thirty five yards. I mean, you know, two two really good players who maybe I suppose Henderson's in with the look of the uh, player of the year actually, but maybe the, without the numbers necessarily to back it up. But as you said, those two would have been key to the success of this season. Yeah, absolutely. I think we have to be be careful sometimes and and not compare Liverpool's midfield too much to, to Manchester City because yes, you know, Jordan Henderson even isn't Kevin De Bruyne and, and he no. never will be, but he's still an unbelievably good, much you know, much more technically gifted, I think, as a footballer than the vast majority of, of I thought people you were gonna say that Kevin De Bruyne for, for a second. No, no, no. I think <laughs> no, like, no. Kevin De Bruyne is the best midfielder in the world for me at the yeah, moment. But I, I still think I still think Jordan Henderson would get into a lot more teams than than what some people realise, and I, I suppose yeah. the the sort of stereotypical version of of Jordan Henderson is long gone. But certainly Fabinho as well. Some of the the passes that he's produced, some of the way the way that that he ties Liverpool's midfield together, he's he's been unbelievably good. And you know the the Manchester City game. I mentioned it before back in November. It, it was his goal. I think that that started all of that off. I think that was the opener in in that game. You know, he's been absolutely crucial, and I think we're we're going to go on to to talk about the Champions League and, and Atletico Madrid later in the podcast. And you know, it, I think it was was telling that Fabinho, possibly his worst game of of this season, came against Atletico, and, and Liverpool ended up losing. So, yeah, I suppose, yeah, as I say, you, you've got to be careful not to to do Liverpool's midfield down too much. I think because they are. Probably, if not world class, then then on on the verge of being world class. But uh, yeah, may, maybe not quite as good as as Manchester City. No, I mean James, you could only dream, couldn't you, to have a player like uh, Kevin De Bruyne at Chelsea? As Matt said, the best midfielder uh, in the world. Uh, be, I mean, I know, if you had him, you, you'd never sell him, would you? Though, never sell. No, him. no, I'd no, never no, sell him. No, no, no. No, 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 no I'd no, only no, sell no. him if I can call Jose Mourinho, and uh, every player has to defend. You know, and and to a left back, you know, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of um, yes. <laughs> we get, we yes. I know that. I, that's still that. That still basically rubbed up every Chelsea fan the wrong way that Mourinho sold De Bruyne. Ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> hey, but Oscar was good. Wasn't he? Who? Oscar was good, wasn't he? Well, he under Mourinho. <laughs> oh, don't you? Don't. It's don't. It's too depressing. Like you know, we, we had a great team back then that we sold basically half of them. You know, it's ridiculous. Anyway. Yes, yes, Kevin De Bruyne yeah. is the best midfielder in the world. Yes, I mean, yeah, he's just world class. I mean, he's 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 in contention for Player of the Year, even though mm. he's not and not won not won the title. And um, mm. that's you know, he's he's just incredible. But I mean, I like Jordan Henderson. Um, you were talking about him. That's to me, that's a great example of how Jurgen Klopp can improve players. He wasn't the player that he is now when Jurgen Klopp turned up at Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp has turned him into a really great midfield player, and he's. And he's what, like I said before, he's what every title-winning team needs. He's a leader. He drives that team on. He, he, you know, he organises. He counts at people on the pitch. He drives teams, drives them forward. He doesn't let them give up. 
you know, he's good in the dressing room. You need players like that to win titles. The winning the league titles is not just about ability. It's about character. It's about yeah. mindset. It's about, um, you know, it's, 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 that, that, that's absolutely key. If you don't have that, you can't win, yeah. you can't win the yeah. league title or Champions League because, mm. you, because um, there's lots of talented teams in the world. Like, and, you know, uh, especially in this league, there's a lot of talented teams. So, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, those two very different kinds of players. And I think everyone would admit Kevin De Bruyne is the best midfielder in the world, without a doubt. And Manchester City's midfield is one of the best midfields in the world, without a doubt. Uh, yeah, I mean, Liverpool, Fabinho is absolutely brilliant with them. Like every, every team needs a good, good player in that position to win a title. Mm. Um, Battering ram. Someone who sits in front of the back four and will just stop the threats, get in position, mm. uh, you know, have the, have the football intelligence and the pace and the physicality to get, get into the right positions and make the tackles and mm. start attacks. Mm. That's what a good defensive midfielder does. And every title-winning team has one. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, no, you're spot on. I mean, with, with Henderson as well, just to go back to Henderson, I think he's the only England midfielder who's guaranteed to play in England's midfield so far anyway. I think he's the only one who's a shoo-in. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got Foden, Grealish, Rice. Well, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold in the future, but uh, whether, where, where that goes, I'm not sure. Talk about that slightly uh, later on as well. But what I want to go on to is a slight, some slight negatives maybe for the season. Obviously, Liverpool done fantastically well in the, in the Premier League, won the Club World Cup which was, you know, unfortunately sort of knocked them out of the Carabao Cup, which I felt a bit sorry for the club with, to be honest, um, would have been, a, uh, they put them in a bit of a difficult situation. But obviously also out of the FA Cup and the Champions League. Uh, yeah, Matt, you mentioned the 3-2 Atletico result, which was a surprise. You know, I, I, I certainly expected Liverpool to beat Atletico Anfield. But I did think that if there was a team that maybe could um, take on Liverpool at, at Anfield and, and get a result, I think I even said this to you, James, on the pod way back when, yeah, uh, it could be. Uh, what, what can I say? I'm like Paul the Octopus from, uh, from you know the World Cup. But uh, you said uh, I thought that maybe Atletico could do that because they're a horrible team to play against. Very much reminiscent of my own team, actually, in the sense that they sit back. They um, try not to use the housery word because that's not a very nice word. Uh, they they just annoy the hell out of the opposition, and they gra- they manage to find a way to grind out results. Also, probably if Alice was not the best in the world. In goal, if they, Atletico have Oblak, who could be considered best in the world. I well, think, yeah, he's up there, yeah. Yeah. Um, but how, how frustrating was that, um, Matt, to, um, you know, Liverpool, you know, smashing the lead, just, you know, at that point, I think if we knew if the lead carried on, they'd win comfortably. Was it a case, are you frustrated or, or would you say, I mean, you as a Liverpool fan at the start of the season, would you have preferred the sole Premier League title? I know what the answer is. A still Premier League title or the Champions League, the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup, which one would you take? hundred percent it's the, the league title because obviously <laughs> I think for, for most clubs you, you'd pick the Champions League over the, the Premier League. I think that that probably is, is the case maybe for, for Chelsea, for certainly for Manchester City, for mm. teams like that who, who maybe haven't won it as often. Mm. But for Liverpool, it, it was all about the league title this season not least because they'd won the Champions League last season. So, you know, without wanting to be too blasé about it, you know, they, they've kind of been there and, and done that. You know, Jurgen Klopp had achieved that. It was about ticking the next thing off on, on the list, which mm. obviously was, was the Premier League. And, and that was the thing that was going to make 
this Liverpool team, Liverpool legends, that, that was the, the sort of difference for them. We've seen, obviously, in, in previous years what's happened and, and they've come close and not quite managed it. So that was, you know, the, the huge thing. But in, in terms of the, the Atletico Madrid game, I think, obviously, as you say, it, it was a shock. Um, but I, I do think Atletico were almost the, the worst case scenario draw for Liverpool because, as you say, the way that they play, they defend very deep. You know, Liverpool historically under Jurgen Klopp have have struggled against teams like Burnley or, or Stoke when they were in the division, teams that that just would sit back and and not really make any attempt to attack, and, and Liverpool would struggle to break them down. Now, okay, over the last couple of seasons, Liverpool have got much better at that. They've managed to to get their fullbacks sort of well, almost almost like number 10s now, the, the number 10s for, for Liverpool play are on each side of, of the defence, don't they? So Liverpool have, have come up with creative solutions, even though they've lost Felipe Coutinho, they've managed to, to sort of break down these defensive teams. And I think obviously the record this season, they've won, what, 28 out of, of 32 matches, something like that. You know, they've obviously found a way to get past those teams. But you know, Atletico Madrid are that style of, of team, but they're the very, very best at that style in the world. They do it incredibly well. And it's something that Diego Simeone has sort of managed to get his own fans on board with as well. I think for a lot of teams, if, if you tried to play that way in, in your Real Madrid or your Manchester United or your Liverpool, I don't think you can really do that. But with Atletico Madrid, it, it's sort of part of, of their identity and they mm-hmm. revel in that sort of thing. You know, Diego Costa, Diego Godin over the years, players like that have sort of basically culture that or fostered a culture whereby that is is acceptable and I think they they almost perfected that against Liverpool and, and Liverpool did have one or two chances but as you say Mo Salah doesn't always take those chances and I suppose that was the difference really on the night that uh, Marcos Llorente managed to, to score and, and Mo Salah didn't so yeah it was it was frustrating but I suppose at, at that stage mm. Liverpool knew they were going to be Premier League champions and also now, in, in hindsight, the Champions League has, has been completely messed up anyway. It's going to be a really bizarre year for, mm. for the Champions League. So Liverpool almost did it the right way around, didn't they? They won the Champions League when it was a normal season. Mm. And then they've won the Premier League by a record margin this. So I don't think too many Liverpool fans can complain. Yeah, so as you say, Liverpool deliberately got themselves uh, knocked out of the Champions League. But um, I think uh, we're talking about necessarily managers that, as we say, embody the club. And you were right there, Matt, to touch on the philosophy of, and, the, and the makeup of Atletico, very much in, in, in line with Diego Simeone as well, a bulldog. I mean, I, I, Diego Simeone reminds me a bit of Antonio Conte. You know, he runs as much as his players on the touchline. He's an absolute madman, like a rockweiler if he was a dog. And he just... Um, you know, he get he gets his team so so up for it in in many ways, and yeah, to me, I saw there might have been a bit of a shock on the cards, and and, and inevitably there was. But one person who maybe who came in for a lot of criticism in that game, it wasn't necessarily Fabinho who underperformed. It was actually Adrian who um, did inevitably. You know, I think two of the goals he probably could have saved had Alisson and Bean in goal, but there were there were immediately calls. I remember at the time, obviously in, in you know emotionally people are angry just after the game they say get rid of Adrian he's terrible he's this he's that the thing is James I mean when you come to a second choice goalkeeper at a big club in my head it's not always the rule but generally give or take a few examples I feel like the second the second choice at a big club is a, is, a, is a goalkeeper who isn't necessarily good enough to be a number one at a smaller Premier League club but 
given the odd game or so, he can come in and do a job and, and you know, you, you wouldn't miss him too much for the odd game. It's not Adrian's fault, is it, that he was thrown in against Atletico Madrid at Anfield, you know, in, in such a big game. And even though he did wilt a little bit, you know, he wasn't brought in for that, was he? He was brought in to, to play. I mean, at the start of the season, he played quite a few games. And after a shaky start, he played quite well. So do you think, I mean, what do, what do you make of the number two goalkeeper, James? Do you think, do you agree with some fans that, oh, he should be gone and they should, they should look to invest in a better goalkeeper? Do you think, whoa, hang on, Alisson's going to be playing all the games near enough if he's, if he, if he's fit. You've got to have a bit of perspective. It's a difficult one because you, the top, top goalkeeper costs a lot of money. Mm. And generally, for most games, you want to have the same goalkeeper. You don't want, you know, there's not much rotation that goes on with goalkeepers. Certainly not in the Champions League and the Premier League. So unless a, unless a goalkeeper is injured or suspended, they will and number one will probably play most of the league games or the champ and the Champions League games, right? So number two isn't going to play that many games. They're going to probably play the cup games. They might play league games, which don't matter at the end of the season if you've won the league or your position is secure or whatever. Um, they but they won't play that many games so it's difficult to get a player firstly who's willing to do that who is good enough to start that's that's the first thing the second thing is the financial cost of it if you want to buy a player who can start that's going to cost you a bit of money uh, and wages as well so and, and especially right now clubs can't really afford to do that so you need to have healthy competition but the healthy competition can't be can't be any he's never going to be as good as the number one generally mm. um because 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 of those factors uh, and i think he adrian's done done a pretty good job as number two this year mm. generally of course he's made mistakes but he's not the number one keeper is mm. he so it's not like the number one keeper is screwing up every game and mm. he's coming and be a number one he's doing what a number two has to do mm. uh and yeah. I mean, if Harrison got a got a long term injury without for a season, mm. then you think, okay, get a get a slightly better keeper in who can be the number one for a season um, while he recovers. You know, mm. yes, that's a different scenario, but that doesn't generally happen. So yeah, I think I think Adrian's done a very good job as a number two. I think that's, that's I don't think there's any reason they need to change change that, um, mm. especially because mm. Liverpool's financial position isn't. No. The best at the moment, I mean, they couldn't, you know, they're not because of what well, they're impacted by COVID, like a lot of clubs. So, mm. if they're going to invest in the market this summer, I don't think a number two keeper has to, should be their priority. No, there's other areas they need to they need to just strengthen and get a bit more depth. Mm. Um, well, 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 like I, like I say, sort of, you look at say Claudio Bravo, 38 at Manchester City, does a job if Edison's not. It plays in some of the cup competitions, as we say. But you could imagine Claudio Brother, I don't know, going to say Watford or something, and suddenly, you know, Alston Ben Foster is sort of there because he's, you know, in the twilight of his career, and he can still do a job in the odd game. And obviously, Adrian came to Liverpool, second choice West Ham goalkeeper, was released. You know, obviously, good opportunity. I, I at the time thought it was a genius bit of business. Really, is you know, Premier League experience, free transfer. Uh, seems like a really nice character, a good guy, as Matt said. You know character is important in in this but I do remember at the time as I say there were so many Adrian outs in a, in a similar way to I suppose when Loris Carrius made a mistake in the Champions League I mean to me I don't think Carrius would be a bad number two option 
you know, but but is that is that ship sailed almost given what he's cost Liverpool in the past? Yeah, the the ties at a hundred percent are cut there. I think the the damage has has been done there. I don't think he's got any future. To be honest, I feel really really sorry for him because I, I don't think I don't think he's got a future in England at all now because people you know every every week they would just remind him of of what had happened. And, yeah. You know, it, it it was a horrible thing to to happen to anyone. I wouldn't wouldn't wish it on anyone. But mm. yeah, we we've seen him make mistakes in in Turkey now, where he's been out on loan at mm. Besiktas for two years, and I don't think his his confidence has ever recovered. He is he is still young for a goalkeeper. I think he's still only twenty six, so he's still mm. got you know a long time ahead of him in the game. But I'd be very very surprised if if that was at, at Liverpool. I mean, just to, to to go back to to Adrian for a second, I think Liverpool have been really unlucky this season. I think mm. you know, for, for a large part of, of this season, the narrative has kind of been that, that Liverpool have been lucky. They've not had injuries. They've not, you know, had players missing. But I mean, Alisson has missed, I think, nine Premier League matches. And it, it's sort of covered up a little bit by the fact that he's, I think, second only to, to Burnley's Nick Pope in terms of the, the Golden Glove and, and that sort of thing. You, you do kind of forget how much of this season he's been missing and you know when when Liverpool brought Adrian in they might have thought you know that he'd play maybe three or four matches at, at mm. the most in the Premier League he might get the Carabao Cup he might get the FA Cup but mm. what he's actually ended up doing is is playing a crucial part in the Super Cup mm. uh, he, he saved penalties and, and won Liverpool that against Chelsea mm. he's played obviously in, in the league and, and done okay he didn't keep a vast majority of clean sheets in, in the games that he played but you know Liverpool even with his error against Southampton, as you mentioned, Liverpool still won with him in goal. They kept a 100% record for the, few, the first few matches of, of the season with him in goal. You know, he's played many, many more matches than anyone would ever expect. And I don't think next season he'll play anywhere near as much. So the, the suggestion that, that Liverpool would need to upgrade the, the second-choice goalkeeper, I don't think really makes too much sense. Partly because he, he's decent enough as it is, but partly because, you know, Alisson's going to play a lot more, we assume, next season because yeah. he's not going to have a three or four month injury followed by a red card, followed by <laughs> another injury. So, yeah. you know, it, it would be very unlucky for Liverpool to, to have that situation ever again, really. No, you're absolutely spot on. And actually, you know, I agree. I just remember at the time there was a lot of hysteria surrounding him and I think understandably so, um, given, given what the the size of the match but again I always thought that was quite harsh and like you said I think he's largely done pretty well and, I mean it, people said oh I don't trust him with the ball at his feet I remember when Simon Mignolet used to have the ball at his feet he used to be like James can you remember the um, you might remember this in the, in the old Batman uh, and Robin um, film where Batman's trying to get rid of the bomb and he's running around and he can't get rid of the bomb and then he throws it into the river I was like Mignolet when Mignolet had the ball at his feet honestly you just didn't know what would happen it was just absolutely Absolutely crazy. Anyway, so on to sustainable future, kind of, if you will, and look at, looking forward. Um, we've got, you know, Matt, you're very familiar with the academy and Liverpool are notoriously now quite stingy with the, um, with, with, with the spending, uh, obviously because they can't afford it in the same, in the same respect as uh, Manchester City. But uh, a few I've picked out here. Uh, well, Neko Williams has been coming on recently and, and looks, looks the part, really. does look quite good. Uh, Kiyana Hover, I hope that's pronounced correctly, also does look quite good at centre-back. Uh, lesser seen Yasser uh, Laruki uh, at left-back, but, but sort of a, a silent understudy to Robertson, but we've seen less of him. Curtis Jones with the winner in the FA Cup against Everton, and Harvey Elliott 
who can play at right wing as well. They are uh, Seth Vandenberg. That's six potential people who who have been on the fringes of the first team. Do you see any? Do you see the uh, the, youth, the youth the youthful players at Liverpool as a way of bridging maybe the financial gap that uh, that they have with Manchester Manchester City as a way of um, adding to squad depth and, and and maybe seeing you know the likes of Williams. Pushing as we see now, Alexander Arnold. In a, it, obviously, he's not in the same breadth of Alexander Arnold, but he was a, he was also a youngster once who was coming through. Do you see similar pathways through for some of these guys to be making maybe with the you know as the season comes to an end, Liverpool have won the title, maybe making some late substitute appearances, boosting experiences. Yeah, definitely. I think there's uh, certainly uh, you picked out three there. That I think will will go on and, and play a, a significant number of minutes for Liverpool. I think. Nico Williams is one of those, Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones. I think those three, I think I'm right in saying they all need to make three more appearances before the end of this season to guarantee themselves a Premier League medal. So I'm sure they'll have one eye on that. But I mean, from, from Jurgen Klopp's perspective, I mean, we, we heard him in his press conference today saying he, he's not going to be you know, giving out medals to, to people who, who don't deserve them. But certainly he picked out those three as, as being ones who, even if they don't get their, their five uh, appearances, you know, their performances in training, their attitude, the way that they go about the game is, is absolutely superb. And that's certainly something that, you know, I've seen, well, I've been watching Curtis Jones for, for a long time. I think obviously burst onto the scene with the, the brilliant goal against Everton. Mm. He's such a, a confident player. He's somebody who, you know, even though he's he's a teenager, he, he's somebody who you you could put into a Liverpool team in a similar way that, that Phil Foden plays for, for Manchester City alongside all of those stars. You know, you could put him in this Liverpool team against probably 14 out of the, the Premier League teams and, and Liverpool would be absolutely fine and, and wouldn't really notice too much of a difference. So I think he's, you know, Adam Lallana, we know he's going to leave this summer. I think he is essentially Adam Lallana's replacement in the squad next season. I think he's going to be the one who, who we see coming off the bench maybe when Liverpool are playing some of the lesser teams or, or they're playing uh, certainly at Anfield. So, yeah, I'd expect to see a lot more of him. I think Nico Williams as well. Um, he does, you know, you, you don't want to make the comparison because it, it's completely unfair in him, but he does remind you whenever you see him of, of Trent Alexander-Arnold. So you can sort of see the, the similarities. Both of them used to play in midfield, played on the, the right wing and have, have been moved back to fullback. And mm. I suppose you, you can sort of see that in the way that they both play football. So again, Nathaniel Klein, an experienced Liverpool player, is moving on this summer. Mm. Nico Williams is, is going to be the, the replacement for him, essentially. He's going to be the one. Um, we've seen Jordan Henderson and, and James Milner both play at, at right back at, at times this season for Liverpool when Trent has been missing. But I don't think... That's going to have to be the case in, in future because Nico has, has got a huge, huge future ahead of him. So I think we'll, we'll see a fair bit of him. And, and Harvey Elliott as well, I think you know, he's similarly as talented as, as the other two. He's just a couple of years younger. He's only just turned 17. So I don't think we can expect to see as much of, of him, but I think he'll get a couple of appearances off the bench. I think, again, we'll, we'll see a little bit more of him next season. I wouldn't imagine he'll go out on loan. I think he'll, he'll continue to, to do what he has been doing. And, you know, see where see where we go from there. But with him, he's he's got a couple of seasons on his side really before any sort of pressure comes onto him to start showing stuff regularly. So it'd be interesting to to see what happens with him. But certainly, I wouldn't expect him to go out on loan. And you know, the the final one, Keanu Hoover. Um, you mentioned him. I think he's absolutely brilliant. He he sort of played right back for um, the last couple of years. I think long term, he's going to be a centre back. I think 
you know, he's sort of been forced into that almost with, with Nico Williams's emergence. I don't think he's, he's quite at the level. I think he was ahead of, of Williams in terms of his progression, but, but Williams has now sort of overtook him. And I think Coover will, will sort of become uh, almost the, the fourth centre-back for Liverpool. I mean, when, mm. when Roma were, were interested in Dan Lovren last mm. summer, Jurgen Klopp was, was happy for Lovren to go and sell him purely because he thought that, that Hoover was ready to, to step in and be that fourth-choice centre-back. So it, it wouldn't massively surprise me if, if next season that was the case, if, if Liverpool got an offer and, and Lovren mm. wanted to go, maybe that would happen. Certainly the, the summer after Lovren's contract expires, I wouldn't expect Liverpool to go out and, and buy anyone because they've got Hoover there and, and ready. Yasser Larucci, you mentioned as well. I'm not not 100% convinced on, on him at this moment in time. I, I, mm. I think defensively he's got a little bit more to, to sort of learn. And, and Jurgen Klopp, even when Andy Robertson hasn't quite been yeah. ready, he's been a little bit reluctant. He's, he'd rather put James Milner there, which I'm not a huge fan of because he, you know exactly what he's going to do when he gets the ball. He's going to turn back onto his right foot. And he's, he's very predictable compared to Andy Robertson. But mm. yeah, Yasser Larucci is, is a talent. But, you know, whether he makes it at Liverpool long-term, I'm not too sure. But certainly the other four that I mentioned there, mm. plus one or two others. We've seen uh, Leighton Clarkson, Jake Kane, who you probably saw play against uh, Shrewsbury in, in the FA Cup at Anfield. The, the two midfielders, they're both training with the first team and, and Liverpool have got high hopes for them. But mm. yeah, the, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of, of players coming through the system. And, you know, we, we sort of, we like to get excited about players and mm. you sort of have to, you have to sort of temper the enthusiasm for some of them sometimes and, and not get too far ahead of yourself. But at the same time, I think you know, Harvey Elliott, for example, you know, he played for Fulham at the age of 16. He, he, he's such a talented player and, and speaking to people around him, they've, they've got no doubt that you know, his, his feet are on the ground, his head's in the right place. And you only have to, to watch him play football. It's, you know, I always say when you watch Harvey Elliott play football, it's it's very easy to forget how young he is yeah. because he just looks like a Liverpool player. Mm. I mean, you mentioned so many youngsters there. Obviously, you, you touched on Lovren, perhaps. Maybe maybe this summer is the time where uh, the best defender in the world will seek another challenge. Um, and obviously, Hoover there is probably good at cleaning up the danger uh, if he does um, if he does come in as a as a fourth choice for that position. But I want to I want both your opinions. We'll go with James first on this one, actually, because I touched on it before. With Williams coming in at right-back and looking almost Trent Alexander-Arnold-esque, even though we shouldn't say that he does, but we are doing it. So he's looking like the part in this Liverpool team. One criticism, if there is a legitimacy in it, uh, with Liverpool's midfield is a lack of creativity, maybe. And I and obviously, Trent Alexander-Arnold used to play midfield. And I've also always been a fan of this, particularly for the national team, actually. Um, where, you know, we've got about, in England, England have Cal Walker, uh, Rhys James, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, Kieran Trippier, and um, I've missed one. Uh, fa- they've got five good options uh, 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 in, in the England team. Now, Liverpool are a club that like to be clever with money and like to be clever with what they do. Could it be, James, a possibility that they say, right, we're going to be careful, with, we're going to be cautious with Williams, but we're going to look to put our trust in him as a potential right-back with the view to putting Alexander-Arnold as an eight. You know, in a similar way to how Manchester City have Kevin De Bruyne anchoring things from midfield. I see a lot, to me, it might be a lazy comparison, but almost a Kevin De Bruyne at right-back. This guy, not quite as two-footed as um, De Bruyne, but he has, he's a good passer, he's confident on the ball, he's got a good shot, and less two-footed, as we say, but he has what I call the swaz with the pass. So, 
you know, you see, you see Kevin De Bruyne do bending passes. You think, oh my god, you know, not many players can do that. And Trent Alexander-Arnold can do those passes, maybe not quite as regular. Do you see as a, an eight in Kevin De Bruyne? Do you see a midfield eight or six? I definitely see a midfielder in, in Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's got everything. He's he's like almost a complete footballer in, in many ways. He's exceptional. And I think when you've got the guy coming in behind him, what you can do is slowly integrate him into the team, give him experiences, give him starts. And as he starts, and, and the same with Trent in midfield. I mean, there is a balance there. Like, Do you lose something if Trent Alexander-Arnold is not playing right back? There are, you know, do you, as opposed to what do you gain by him being in midfield? And so that's really up to Jurgen Klopp. And I definitely don't rule it out because he's, he can play there. He can easily play there. And there's no question about it. He's got, every, he's got the complete game. So it's about whether what Klopp wants to do and whether mm. he wants to utilise what he has mm. and how this guy develops. You know, and if he develops, as 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 Matt is saying that he could, then there's every possibility he could he could play right back, mm. perform really well, be a top class right back. Alexander Arnold can move into midfield and be a brilliant playmaker. Mm. That's not out of the realm of possibility. And Jurgen Klopp is very good at developing players, and he's quite has shown he's quite willing to put players in positions that they haven't played often and move players around. Like I mean, like. Like you're saying with Henderson and, um, and Milner, who've both played fullback. So, yeah, I'm not saying he'd do it every game, but mm. there's a, I'm sure we'll see it at some point. It's just a matter of how the other guy develops, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, the two, the, the two things I sort of see with it is that the alternative is at Manchester City, uh, Pep Guardiola likes two players per position, so Cancelo, Walker, yeah. etc. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I mean, there is the, the other idea that Liverpool can say, well, we've got squad depth now, so Trent Alexander-Arnold can play two out of three games, but Williams can play one. And then you've got sort of yeah, a, a bit that of too, yeah. you've got that squad depth. But for me, and I'll throw this back to Matt, I think... To me, I see, you know, a player of Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne for me is probably worth, in old money, I know we're in the recession period now, if we go back to transfer valuations 12 months ago, I think you'd be paying 200 million for Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, I think he's just unbelievable and that good. And something, I think Roberto Martinez said he's the best player in the world now, and you might say he is with Messi in decline and Ronaldo. Well, Messi not in obvious decline, but not quite. I think powers of Ronaldo steadily declining as well. Could Trent Alexander-Arnold, well, first of all, do you think it might? You think it, the sensible option is just to say we've got more squad depth now. We've got two players who can play in this position, competition for places. Or do you think you could look at it and say, well, we put Alexander Arnold as a number eight. We're saving ourselves 150 million pound trying to get something similar on the transfer market. I think on the the sort of topic of, of squad depth, Liverpool don't really approach it in the same way that mm. the Pep Guardiola does. So Jurgen Klopp likes to work with a small group of players. He, he's never made any secret of that, and I think sort of versatility of, of his players. I think that one of the big attractions of, of James Milner is that he can play in midfield. He can play at left and right back as well. And I think that's sort of the, the ideal Jurgen Klopp player, really, is not somebody who just plays in, in one position. I think the, the big reason that they signed Takumi Minamino, for example, is that he can play wide left, wide right, through the middle. He can play as a midfielder. You know, Jurgen Klopp likes to have these players that can play in a variety of different roles so that if there are, are injuries, if he needs to rotate, you know, he can do that without necessarily having someone like Zhao Cancelo, for example, sat on the bench every week, earning in excess of 100000 a week, mm. you know, not really doing anything to, to deserve that. So 
In terms of the, the squad depth, I, I don't think it'll come too much into to his thinking. I think there's, there's no doubt about it. Trent Alexander-Arnold could play in midfield. I think that the comparison to Kevin De Bruyne is, is absolutely right. I think those two, in terms of deliveries into the box, those two are the closest thing to, to David Beckham that you get. I think you know Trent can, can go on and, and do whatever he wants in the game. I think, what is he, 21 still? Um, which is, is absolutely crazy. My guess would be that, that Trent will stay at right back for as long as Jurgen Klopp is at, at Liverpool. I think maybe under a new manager in, you know, what will it be, four, four years' time if, if Jurgen Klopp was to move on, somebody else was to, to come in with a slightly different idea and a slightly different way of thinking, then maybe you could have that move when Trent will, will still only be 25. You know, he'd still have his peak years ahead of him. Um, but for me, Liverpool probably have got the best right back in football at the moment in Trent Alexander-Arnold. So why why would you then move him and try and, and get something else out of him when the, the focal point, as we say, you know, Liverpool's number tens, if you like, are their fullbacks? It's mm. almost the, the the crucial position under Jurgen Klopp. The relationship that he has with Mohamed Salah, I just don't think at this moment in time it makes too much sense to move him because you would then alter the dynamic for, for the rest of the team as well. Mm. What about for England? Potentially for, for England, it, it could be something that, that Gareth Southgate tries. I mean, he's got, as you say, a, a lot of, of options at fullback. But again, I, I think Trent is, is the best right back that England have. And I think it would be, I know it's harsh to sort of put him ahead of, of players like Wan-Bissaka or, or Kieran Trippier because they're both, they're both excellent players in their own right. But I think... England have got, I think England have got enough in midfield to to play their best right back in his best position. And I think for Gareth Southgate, he's always one who has said, you know, he won't pick players for the national team unless they're playing regular football and, and they're getting minutes. I think the same sort of thing might apply in that they have to be playing regular minutes in mm. the same position that he plays mm. them in. So mm. for Trent to, to be playing right back week in, week out for Liverpool, but then every few months going to, to England and, and playing in midfield. Mm. I'm not sure how comfortable Gareth Southgate would be with that. Yeah, the other thing I'd say with that is Walker did play a whole tournament at centre-back, didn't he? As opposed to, as opposed to right-back for Man City. But yeah, no, point taken. I mean, uh, obviously, James, you're a big fan of Rhys James um, and you think that um, um, he, um, you, you actually said that he'll be better than Alexander-Arnold, which I said at the time was quite a step. Did I say that? I think, I, I think he can get to that level. I really do. I've been watching him for a long time. Yeah. He's had, he had injuries this season as well. It's his first season at this level. But yeah. he is the best, one of the best crosses of the ball that I've ever seen. Best uh, understudy right back of anyone in, anyone in the league. I mean, that's been and again, good. he's like Trent Tanzlade that he can play midfield. Like last year at Wigan, he played half their season at right back and was brilliant. And then played half the season in midfield and was brilliant. <laughs> and he got their player of the year uh, and was voted as, I think, some of their fans voted him as Wigan's best ever player in their history. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, he's had a bit of injury. It's his first season at Premier League level this year. I think, we'll, I think in the next couple of years, you'll, as he starts to develop, you'll start to see how good he is. But yeah, I mean, I'm not saying. <laughs> Tony is a world class player. I mean, I'm not, you know, let's not make any bones about that. <laughs> He's got a fight in his hand if he wants to get into the England team yes. in, at, at the right back position, you know. But uh, but again, I mean, you could literally he could play in midfield for England. There's no doubt. About that. I have total confidence he could do that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it, I mean, it's good for England, but we've got a load of great fullbacks. It I is, mean, it is. That's a really good thing. Not many good left-backs, though. It's all it's all on the right-hand side. No disrespect yeah. to Chilwell and Shaw there, but, it, you know, the others are, yeah. I mean, amazing <laughs> depth. Obviously, no, Chilwell and Shaw are decent options as well. But um, actually, the question that came in from uh, uh, someone who me and Matt both know, and he asked me to ask you, and ask you as well, James, he's also predicted an answer. What, what, what do you both think? Uh, we'll start with James so we can build tension. Who, who is the better uh, team, do you think, as an overall package? Is it, is it the Invincibles, Arsenal Invincibles, or this Liverpool team now that could get on, go on to a point? Uh, you know, points. I'm not going to answer this. Got a, I got my own. Well, the Invincibles was a great team. Mm, it was. Uh, it didn't win the Champions League. Should have won the Champions League. I think base it, base it on the Premier League itself. I think that was the, the greatest. The okay, well, okay. Right. I mean, that's a very difficult one. Final question to end, end the podcast with. Well, that is a very difficult one. For our loyal niche audience. I mean, going unbeaten through a season, a Premier League season, is an incredible achievement. Let's mm. start with that. But Liverpool could potentially get a record points total. It could go, it could go well over 100. Mm. and just the way that they play football um, the relentlessness the winning mentality but I mean yeah I of those two teams I think the more the, the more complete team mm. is probably the Liverpool team but it's very Ooh. close okay so you're going with Liverpool um, but I mean let's put this, put it this way uh, Thierry Henry would, would get into this Liverpool team. <laughs> I mean, Patrick Vieira would yeah. probably would get into this Liverpool team. Mm. You know, yeah. uh, and Ashley Cole would run. Would run Andrew Robertson very close. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. Ashley Cole's the best left back Premier we've seen in the Premier League. Mm. But so I, it's a difficult question, you know, because the Invincibles was a great side as well. I, I think it's just the points total and the fact that it's such a Liverpool's team is such a team unit. There's mm. such a it's not. It, it's more. It's it's the sum of its parts. It's not built around one individual. There's, it's a team. Yeah, and I know we're just judging on the Premier League, but this team mm. has won the has won the Champions League as well. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that's another thing. It's you know, it's not just won the Premier League. It's won the Champions League. It's won won the Super Cup. It's won the World Club Cup. And I know that we're not counting that as part of the question, <laughs> but I can't help but in, but think about that as well. That that this team have done it. They've got 190. They've got. They're going to get around 200 points in two seasons in the Premier League alone. Ten seconds, James. What What's your answer now? Uh, oh, it's difficult. But I'm going to say Liverpool. But it's very marginal. It's very close. Out mm. of those two. Okay, uh, Matt. Yeah. So I mean, look, I, I know who asked that question. Um, I also know that, that we're pretty much the same age and, and neither of us can remember the Arsenal's invincible season. No. Uh, so it, it's very difficult for, for me Thank to... Thank you, James. Sort of... Thank you, James, for your... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do got... remember that season. Yeah. I, I... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, there's no doubt about it. To go um, you know, unbeaten throughout an entire season... As Liverpool proved yesterday, I think you know Arsenal wrapped that title up with with a few games to go and, mm. and managed to keep going and keep that sort of motivation and, and that sort of thing. But for me, 
you have to look at the points total. I think it was 12 draws that Arsenal had that season. I, it's funny you should say that. This was also sent to me in a message that you would say 12 draws. Yeah, 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 we, yeah. You, can tell, you can tell we have this conversation quite regularly in our in our little group chat. But I, I think, look, the way that you look at a league table and decide who the best team is is by how many points they put on the board. And, and for me, Liverpool are going to get more than a hundred points. You know, I'm backing Liverpool to beat Manchester City's record. I actually, you know, I know this this isn't the question, but I, I actually think that the Manchester City team of the last two seasons, which got 100 points and then 98 points. I think both of those Manchester City teams are better than this Arsenal's Invincibles. Oh, I thought well. you were going to say better than Liverpool's. So I was going to... Oh, agree I, agree. That, yeah. I, agree, I agree with you, Matt. Yeah, Because Matt. to get that number of, of points it is just utterly ridiculous. I think, you know, Liverpool... But, you know, you could you could even extend it to the last season. Liverpool's ninety-seven point team. I think, even though they didn't win the league, I think they were were probably a, a better team than the Arsenal Invincibles team. But you know, that's that's not to take anything away from what Arsenal oh. did. It's a ridiculous achievement. It's something that you know, it would have been nice to to see Liverpool go the season unbeaten. That mm. obviously hasn't happened. But mm. you know, look for for me, you know the way that you work out who the best team is, is is by how many points they get. And, and Liverpool have already surpassed what Arsenal did with, with six games to go. No, I actually agree with you both unanimously, but I thought it'd be interesting because I did get asked the question. That, and I'm also apparently a Liverpool fan at times, but I'm not. I just disagree with certain conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, Matt, I think we'll give you the final word of special guest on uh, said podcast. Is there any, what, what, what would yours, if you could summarise this season in, I don't know, 30 seconds, how would you do it? Oh wow, what a task that is! I mean, there's there's been, there's been so many games actually where you know I, I regularly get asked the question, you know, what was the moment when you thought Liverpool had won the league, and and when was the the time that you thought it was possible? And it is it's an impossible question to say just one match, but I think the the game that best sums up this Liverpool team was was Leicester City on Boxing Day. I think the sort of perfection of of that performance to go to a team which realistically we're, we're in the title race for for a few months of this season you know people were talking about them potentially challenging I think it would be a massive shame if they ended up missing out on on the Champions League because I think what Brendan Rodgers has, has done there with a fantastic team is brilliant but you know Liverpool went to Leicester on Boxing Day in the prime time slot just put on such a performance absolutely wiped the floor with them I don't think we've seen as perfect a performance as, as that for a long time, not just from, from Liverpool, but from, from any team to go and, and perform as well as they did. I think that sums up just how brilliant this Liverpool team are. And, you know, it, it's not like that every week, as we say. There's, there's certain moments, the Aston Villa game, for example, where Liverpool had to dig in and, and, and leave it late. But yeah, I think that best sums up the brilliance of this Liverpool team. And, even the most hardened Everton or Manchester United fans or whatever would have to admit that, that Liverpool are, are worthy title winners. And yeah, for, for me, that Leicester game was was such a privilege to, to watch it. Obviously, as, as someone who covers Liverpool regularly, it was just, it was amazing. It was utterly ridiculous how Liverpool played that day. And, you know, every single player, I know I'm, I'm going on a little bit here, yeah. but uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold on that day, I mean, you know, imagine being him, being in this Liverpool team, performing to that level. It's just, it's an absolute dream to watch. And, and hopefully, you know, for, for someone who covers Liverpool regularly, hopefully that continues. It was a touch over 30 seconds, but again, you were very eloquent with the, uh, with, with the description. And uh, you do mention the most ardent Everton fans. You would be surprised. Uh, some people are not too uh, pleased still or accepting of 
uh, Liverpool's wonderful successes. It's not just that person. There's a, a few others uh, who messaged me about it. I but can anyway, probably guess who they you, are as you well. You can probably guess who they are as well. <laughs> but, uh, I won't say on the podcast what they've said because that would be inappropriate to me. But anyway, yeah, so that was a, fan, that was a lovely, uh, lovely, well-summarised point, Matt. Thank you, James, as well, for you know, turning up again and mm-hmm. dealing with me. And yeah, I mean, that should, <laughs> that should go up on, uh, that should be on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Buzzsprout. And if my pet project is going through to Wayne, it should also be on YouTube. But um, depends on your um, depends on your outlook on, on how you want to watch it. But yeah, from all of us, peace out and uh, see you next week. <laughs>